When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast, Ben Vallis here, thank you for joining us, hope you're doing well. Coming up on the show, the Celtics, winners of five of their last six games, they're back above 500 for the first time in 41 days and thanks to Reddit user the Photogenic Potato for that stat. We're going to get into what's changed with this team, why are they actually winning games for a change, we'll speculate wildly on some potential future changes to the team and of course see what the fans are up to and up in arms about on Celtics Reddit. Joining us for all of that and more, Mr. Wayne Spoonie. Spoons, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good. If you're watching on YouTube, you might be concerned about my health or the fact that maybe <laughs> I'm dead and I'm a ghost. Uh, I swear, <laughs> it's just the lighting. Uh-huh. I'm not this pale in real life, I promise. Uh, I'm doing all right. You know, to be honest, I don't know how to feel, Ben. I don't know how to feel. We can get into it, but this team, I'm, I've been hurt before. I'm... <laughs> I don't want to get sucked back in. Absolutely. And that's what we specialize in on this podcast is is quantifying our feelings about what's going on and sometimes just throwing our hands up in the air and saying exactly that. I don't know how to feel. I've been burnt before. We'll likely be burnt again. And that almost happened yes. today, uh, very early, 4.30 a.m. this morning, Australian time, East Coast. Uh, the Celtics went down 18 to the Pelicans. Uh, very much looked like we were going to get burnt again. And uh, fortunately... Uh, sort of as an inverse action to what we've come to expect from the Celtics this year. They turned it around in the fourth quarter and won the game. Uh, and likewise in the Bulls game as well. Spoons, I, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned in the intro there that the Celtics, they have won five of their last six games and they're finally back above 500. What, uh, from your point of view, what's changed? Like, why is this team suddenly winning more games than they're losing? Bizarre. I think there's three big things and I'll give them to you from least to most important. <laughs> Great. I think Yudoka has finally made some changes. Like when Smart was healthy, Schroeder wasn't closing games. We're not closing with double bigs. And I actually saw a stat today on the broadcast. Horford has like a negative 26 net rating in clutch time, which is not good. Nope. So he's not been closing games. He didn't even close today. Cantor did. So I do think Yudoka, I've been critical because he's been slow to adjust. I do think he's been adjusting, and I do think it's helped. Definitely. Secondly, I think we're mostly got healthy. I mean, Smart's been out, but it seems like we'll have one or two guys out here and there recently instead of like half our rotation being out. Mm -hmm. And three, I think the most important thing is our schedule got a lot easier in January, (laughs) man. And even the good team. Yeah. Like Indy, that team's a fucking disaster. And we almost lost to them when Kiefer. Sykes was their starting point guard. Mm -hmm. So not a great convincing win there, but then we blew him out once Brogdon came back. Brogdon and Levert came back. So this team makes zero sense. But 
I think that's a big part of it, man, is we December was a bloodbath. Like every team we played was good except for that T Wolves team. And of course we lost that game. But otherwise <laughs> it was just like top seed after top seed. And now we're finally getting to beat up on some of the dregs. And to the Celtics credit, they are proving we are not the dregs of the league, right? We're at least probably slightly above average at worst. And I think if the Jays keep playing like they've been playing, uh, you know, and we keep defending, we'll probably be better than that as well. Yeah, and as of today, we are just that slightly above average by by one game, if you want to use the 500 mark. <laughs> As average. Yeah, the, the health thing, I think, is a really key point to touch on there. And also, we're now actually seeing um, like a demonstration of the depth that was sold to us prior to the season starting with some of the moves around the edges that Brad Stevens made with this team. We're now seeing that we can afford to miss, you know, in today's case, two starters uh, and still get by with some, some above average talent off the bench. Not a lot of bench impact in the first half of this game, uh, but that sort of came around uh, in the second half. Fortunately, I want to run some January stats by you just to sort of illustrate or quantify why this team is winning. Uh, so in January, they've got the second ranked defense with a 105 defensive rating, eighth in true shooting percentage at 57.9, which if you've watched the team this year, true shooting, shooting of any kind really was not our forte. Um, shots Except are going free down. Throws. We're money. <laughs> we're money from the line. I think we're like second or third in the league from the line. So that's, that may have skewed the stat a little bit, so I might have to double-check my numbers there. But the fact that we're getting to the line, and you know, we definitely can't say that we've been hitting yeah. all of our free throws earlier in the season. Um, Robert Williams may have turned that around with these 4-for-4 uh, four four against the Bulls there. Single-handedly. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's really good to see. <laughs> Jalen Brown. We need to give Jalen Brown a shout-out. His points per game up from 24 per game in December to 27 in January. His field goal percentage has gone up 10 points, 40% in December to 50% in January. JB's assists, his rebounds, they're up. His turnovers are down all around, just having him back healthy. It seems like the hamstring issue is a thing of the past. And we're seeing some J-on-J pick and rolls. We're seeing them in the media talk about wanting to play together, wanting to stay together. And, you know, if we, if we look back on one thing, I think at the end of this season, we might be able to look at it as like a critical Jay's development season, and certainly so far in the month of January, uh, we're, we're seeing that. Um, Rob Williams, we need to say, first of all, congratulations on the birth of uh, another child. Uh, I have one, and that's more than enough to have multiple. Uh, just goes to show the, the grit of this man and his family. <laughs> um, ah! <laughs> unbelievable. And he's showing <laughs> it on the court as well. I, how much would you attribute to, to Rob Williams' spoons uh, as far as our recent success is concerned? I think a lot, man. He's been awesome in basically every phase. Uh, I just think his advancement on the defensive end is much more impressive than the fact that he's making it work next to another big man, which he shouldn't have to do, but he's still fitting in, finding ways to move the ball, finding ways to impact the game, getting on the offensive glass. But on defense, man, he just seems like a different person. Mm -hmm. Like when they do those like close cuts while the ball's getting inbounded and stuff, it's Rob barking out orders and telling people where to go. And if you take the guy that literally missed the first flight in the first media availability <laughs> of his Celtics career yeah. and told me in four years he would be the dude directing the second best defense in the league, I would not have believed you. But here he is. I mean, Rob has been phenomenal. 
Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And we're going to touch more on Rob a little bit later in the Reddit recap. But watching him pass from the top of the key, a la Nikola Jokic, is incredibly spicy. Obviously doesn't attract the, the you know, sort of the man-on-man guarding attention that Jokic does for lack of a jump shot. But who knows, perhaps that's something to come in the future. And uh, hopefully on this awesome contract that we've got him on, uh, he'll stick around long enough where we can watch that develop. A lot of fun. Uh, another big man, uh, Al Horford, who we sort of mentioned as well. It's worth noting that his minutes per game are down to 26, lowest all season. He did mention in, I believe it was after the Bulls game in his post-game interview, that he likes where he's at with his three-point shooting. Spoons, do, do you like where he's at? <laughs> that makes one shooting? of us, Al. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, not so much. That makes one of us, Al, who <laughs> likes where you're at with your three-point shooting. <laughs> I will say he's hit some timely ones. I think there was a corner three... It might have been that indie game we barely won that mm. like we do not win that game if he doesn't knock that three down. So why I was so excited that we were getting Horford is because he gives you a different look than Rob Williams because he can shoot. Well, now he doesn't really give you that look and he's obviously regressed around the rim because he's 35. So he's kind of a he's not a real positive offensive player right now, mm-hmm. which is. I mean, not ideal. I mean, it's tough to run out a power forward who can't shoot, it can't dribble, and can't score. I mean, that's not super helpful. No, not at all. I mean, there are a few moments where he got us sort of critical ISO buckets. I think Scal was shouting him out on the call the last couple of games where we just kind of found him a mismatch under the basket, you know, fed him the ball, and he kind of went to work and, and got us like an old-school post-up basket. So he's good for that. Whether or not you need mm-hmm. to pay that much for that skill set, I don't know. <laughs> Um, but suffice to say, with the structure of his remaining contract, it might not be something that we need to worry about for much longer. Continuing on with, the, the I guess, the trends for the Celtics uh, so far, January 7th in drives at 52.1 per game, generating 29 points per game, but only 3.9 assists per game off those drives, which is near the bottom of the league. Um, Ime Udoka said that uh, after the game, he stayed with Aaron Neesmith as long as he did because... Uh, quote, his energy and intensity helped change the game. I-, I think that those two, there's a correlation between those two points in that we're, we're obviously getting to the basket, we're driving, we're penetrating the defense, but then we're kicking out to fucking Dennis Schroeder, Al Horford, like we mentioned, who can't shoot, and Aaron Neesmith, who really needs more run, right? Because he needs to be on the receiving end of these driving kicks to develop confidence to actually execute on those opportunities. We saw him hit the side of the backboard today, on one opportunity, and then as he got more burn, as he stayed in the game for longer, he actually became really impactful. So, Spoons, you know, we started the season with hashtag start Neesmith. Are you circling back on that now at all? Are we, are we back to where we started? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Are you kidding? Right. I never left, all right? <laughs> I've been tweeting this whole time. I still believe in Aaron Neesmith. Never I'm buying doubt. property on Neesmith Island. Uh, I think that's what i've been saying right like he's gonna play his ass off he's a good rebounder he's much better driving and finishing around the rim and just like driving a closeout moving the ball making the right pass he had a sweet little drop off to canter today like if his shot can just drop all of a sudden that's a super valuable player um if his shot's not gonna fall then it's probably a deep bench guy right Mm -hmm. so let him play, man. See if he can find a shot. Like, we're 500. We need to infuse this team with something. And Neesmith, 
you know he's going to infuse it with at least chaos. Hopefully it's positive chaos, but sometimes it's not, which is fine, right? He's 22 years old. And I, he's just shown enough flashes to me that I think he should get a chance. But regardless, we've been killing people when Neesmith's been on the floor. Right? All right. His last 15 games. Guess what his net rating is? No, don't guess. That's not fair. He's played 13 minutes a game in his last 15 games. His net rating is plus 13.6. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when amazing. he's on the floor... The last 15, so from Thanksgiving until now, because you missed a lot of time with COVID, mm-hmm. that's his last 15 games. We've outscored teams by 13 points per 100 when Neath Smith's been on the floor. And some of that's garbage time. Some of it is not. I mean, I think he's not getting lost nearly as much on defense. And like I said, man, he's had some takes to the rim and like little floaters. Like that floater he hit today, he kissed it off like the very top of the glass and it dropped. I mean, that is like, a scorer shot, man. I think there's more to his game than just shooting, but if he can't shoot, then he's not worth giving run. But I think it's like a chicken in the egg, like you hit on Ben. Give him some run, see if he can shoot, and if at the end of the season he can't, maybe we look to trade him, right? Yeah, I don't know where his pathway to playing time comes from, because last year when Brad Stevens was at the coaching helm, he could have played him and he didn't. And a lot of the talk was like, we need Danny Ainge to like clear the roster so that Brad Stevens has no choice. Well, of course, now Brad yeah. Stevens is in the Danny Ainge position. He hasn't showed us anything to demonstrate that he would you know, clear the roster such that Neesmith would have playing time. There was a really good uh, article in The Athletic that came out today. It was Jay King with a one-on-one interview with Brad Stevens. And Brad Stevens talked a lot about how that he has intent on opening up playing time for Peyton Pritchard. You know, sort of regardless of what happens beyond the trade deadline, no mention of Neesmith, really. So, uh, not no. Honest. He did. He said he said he was extremely confident Neesmith's going to be a really good player. But as which, far as giving him starting time sloth. in the immediate future, yeah, that's, no, that's no, what no I was mention of that. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> no, that's not happen. No, I'm glad to hear that he has that sort of confidence, the same confidence that uh, that we have. Maybe he's been listening to the the podcast spoons and he's he's come around. Um. I've got only one other stat to get to to sort of illustrate the Celtics January so far, and it's a negative one. So is there anything positive you want to add before we do a complete 180? Uh, I know our offensive rating in January is 18th, which sounds pretty mediocre, but we were like 23rd or 24th on the season. So if you have the second best defense and the 18th best offense, you're going to win a ton of games. I mean, that's the profile of a team that wins 50 games. So if we can keep that up, things are looking rosy. Yeah, well, somewhat related. And, you know, if we can address this, we can improve our offense as well. The Celtics, 29th in turnover percentage. Yuck. I mean, we saw it today, especially in the first half, uh, you know, time in and time out, we're outperforming our opponents in the wrong stat, which is uh, the amount of turnovers we commit, which is just ridiculous. I guess part of that you could attribute to how young... Not only the team are on average, but how young their two leaders are also, 25 and 23 years old. Um, I say this too many times on the podcast when we talk about the Jays, but I was a complete idiot at 25, let alone 23. I can't imagine the weight on the the shoulders of these young men. Um, But you would like to think that over time, as their chemistry with the roster and with Udoka matures, and as themselves mature as well, that that is something that they can address you know like turnovers i feel like are maybe one of the easier things to, to tighten up in the league what do you think spoons 
Yeah, I think that's just something that naturally decreases as you get more experience, especially in that primary, secondary creator role. Like, there's just no way to account for in-game reps, right? Like, you can try it in practice, but it's just different. And, you know, we've we've touched on it before. This is the first year this is the Jays team. Mm -hmm. Last year, we still had Kemba. I mean, that team, Kemba had a huge usage rate when he played. Uh, so it was still very much Kemba's offense a lot of the times. Not the case now. We're just watching the growing pains. I'm with you. I, I'm i not super concerned about the turnovers, and I think a lot of them could be avoided. Not a lot, but a good percentage of them could be avoided if we just like stop stepping on the sideline and throwing it out of bounds when we don't need to. Or like... Trey Dennis Schroeder. I don't know how many... Yeah. 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 <laughs> or like... Today, Cantor got his pocket picked right after a rebound, and that happened last game, I think, to Cantor, too. It's like, duh, dude, come on, man, just hold it high. Yeah. <laughs> so it's stuff. It's just kind of mental stuff like that that's natural with a younger team, for sure. Cantor today also, or sorry, I should say, in his freedom, missed a uh, a bunny right. that Tatum fed him his full-court pass, and uh, it was like the worst professional mistake in any field I've ever seen in my life. It was such a bad miss. And Freedom, Cantor, Freedom, let's, let's call him Freedom, needs to take Tatum out for dinner or like, you know, donate to a charity of his choice or something like that because the, he owes the guy a favor. I do not know how he missed that. I mean, there is like high school kids who would have made that. Yeah. I, and that was so wide open. Absolutely. Um. I need to also say, at the top of the podcast, Spoons, you, you referenced your ghost-like appearance. If you're watching the YouTube version of this pod and you can see a, a sort of a film developing over my forehead, <laughs> I'm in my attic in Australia. It's summer. Humidity is close to 100%. It is very hot. I uh, have a glass of cold water next to me. It is not working. I apologize uh, to those enjoying the visual medium of this, of this podcast. Um, they may not again after this. No, that's right. Well, you can just put a sticky note over this part of the screen and uh, and keep watching. Um, what do you make of this quote, Dennis Schroeder after the Pelicans game today? So on Tatum, he's great when he attacks the basket. Of course, he makes difficult shots as well. But when he attacks the basket like he did today, he's really really hard to guard. Opens everything up. Everyone else, JT and JB, have to do that a little bit more. I guess I appreciate Schroeder's how candid he's being. Um, it's very easy to say that. It's very difficult to constantly attack the basket when there's very little space on the floor. So, yeah, they should attack the basket more. I totally agree, Dennis. How about you become a 40% three-point shooter? Yeah. <laughs> so your, your guy isn't just standing at the free throw line stopping them from doing that. So, hey, he's right, but if you consider the source, it's also kind of like, all right, Dennis, we get it, man. You do, too. You also don't attack enough. Like, is, there's probably a reason for that, isn't there? Uh, so, I, I, it seems like people are not afraid to call out the Jays, which I think is probably a good thing, because Smart definitely did, you know, his... His call out, I think, was a little overblown, but he was like, they need to pass the, you know, give me the ball so I can pass it to them, not the other way around. Um, I don't know. Do you think, like, I don't see a lot of other NBA players being like, look, Bam Adebayo's got to post up more. You know, like, his t Duncan Robinson's not like, Bam needs to post up more and hit yeah. me with a pass. You know, 
Yeah, they. I, I guess the Jays are in such a unique situation and have been since they entered the league and that they're two top three picks. They both went number three and they immediately were birthed into a contending team and have had really, really high expectations even going into this season where they are the two you know, pillars, as it were. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of sub 25-year-old players, let alone two of them on the same team, have been in that situation before. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of sort of um, behind-the-scenes chatter among the Celtics front office and some of the older veteran players to emphasize the need to to call out the Jays, whether it be in the media or directly you know, or privately in the locker room or whatever it may be. I think that that's probably a pretty crucial part of their development. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not like we see, I don't know, uh, Anthony Davis calling out LeBron or James Harden calling out Kevin Durant or anything like that. Like, it really is a unique situation to those guys. But I think it's appropriate and necessary, certainly. But with regards to the Schroeder quote, I was initially like, really, Dennis? Like, basically your reaction as well. Like, really? Like, you're going to call these guys out? Like, the two best players on our team, guys who the reason the paint is packed whenever they drive is kind of because of you. Um, although he did knock down some critical shots today. Um, so kind of in two minds about it, but ultimately, and especially hearing your reaction, Spoons, I think it's uh, probably a good thing. Yeah, we got a great Dennis game today, that's for sure, which is, we look good when Dennis is good, man. He does bring an element we need. Inspire hope. <laughs> it's all part of the Dennis system. Yeah, that's right. To be expected. <laughs> He's going to let me down soon, right? <laughs> Separate entirely. I want to uh, yeah. just quickly highlight a, a couple of Tatum plays here from this game. Um, and the first one is the absolute play of the game here in transition to this Aaron Neesmith dunk and one. Not part of what I wanted to highlight, but thanks to Timmy for cutting these highlight clips together so quickly after the game. I guess it was like a Poland-friendly uh, time zone there as we see that sweet bounce pass to Aaron Neesmith and the dunk and the clear foul. Good to see. But I wanted to highlight these Tatum drives. First off, this cut here. It's not a finesse play. It's not uh, sexy. It's messy. It looks clumsy at times, but he gets to the free throw line with power and decisiveness. And again, here we see the feed from Schroeder. Comes around the defender at the top of the key, kind of waving Cantor off there just to make his own way into the paint. And again, it's messy. Probably gets fouled there and finishes the tough contested floater. This is the way that he needs to play. Uh, we know this. I guess the, the takeaway I had from this, Spoons, is that he probably Tatum sees himself, I think, as a finesse player. He was sort of advertised as a finesse, smooth scorer, you know, coming into the league, and he sort of models his game on Kobe Bryant and all of that. I actually think he's a power player, if that makes any sense. It seems like the, the most success that Tatum has most consistently is when he powers his way into the paint like that and, and gets off those you know contested layups and it doesn't look pretty oftentimes it looks like he's going to lose the ball it's not like he's crossing someone up and you know like it and finessing his way into the paint it's like a it's a brute force kind of approach post game thread comment from user flying moko who said attack first tatum is a different beast than pseudo playmaker tatum that moment in the third quarter when he turned a switch on and just attacked was so good to watch. I think trying to turn JT into something he's not isn't the move. When he's decisive and attacking, he looks completely different than when he is trying to get others involved, uh, second-guessing his shot. So, yeah, I mean, regarding not trying to turn Jason Tatum into something he isn't, first of all, do you agree with that? And if so, or regardless, what is his player archetype? I'm going to kind of middle this answer. 
I think he would do well to emphasize trying to be a playmaker during this season because it's clear we do not have championship aspirations and he will need that skill set in the playoffs. He needs to become better at that. He needs to at least get to the Paul George five, six assists a game level like he did in that 1920 uh, playoff run. So I understand it's difficult to watch, and he is agreed. He's a worse player when he's emphasizing the playmaking first. I think part of that is because he's passing to people who cannot shoot or cannot drive a closeout. Uh, but, you know, you see his six turnovers against Philly. It, it can be tough to watch at times. And I do think if we just said, you know what, Jason, we need you to be the best version of yourself, it's very close, or maybe it is what we saw in this fourth quarter where he's just looking to score every time down. Mm-hmm. But um, I... I I understand what you're saying that definitely this year he's made a big time emphasis on having to on being a power player and using his strength, but also he had like a silky Euro step around Valanchunas today, and I've noticed he's done that a lot more where he takes these huge steps and squeezes between people. So I actually think he's got both of those things in his bag. Uh and he just can't make a three right now like (laughs) this would all i think the i think like the narrative around tatum this season would be a lot different if he was just shooting like 38 percent from three Mm -hmm. because he went oh for four again today like what what is going on (laughs) why can he not shoot anymore yeah and he only took four which is pretty right i think he averaged like eight last year seven or eight like he clearly Seems like he may have lost a little bit of confidence in his shot, man. And that's, I think, the biggest question mark with him going forward. Because I do think with reps, with time, he will improve the playmaking. And then you can kind of blend that in with his ability to get downhill and, you know, have these ugly finishes. And you're right. It's like ugly but effective. You know, he is not the prettiest player when he's going to the rim. Uh, But... I mean, I'm starting to get worried about the shot at this point. Maybe I'm crazy and it'll come around, but it's just, it's bizarre. Like, he is missing bad sometimes, too. Like, clanging it off the side of the rim. Yeah, and I think it was that second indie game where he came out and was, like, four for four on threes immediately. And we talked about in our Slack how, like, partially it's that simple. All the problems that we've been you know, talking about over the season, like if Tatum and Brown are just hitting those shots, which we've sort of come to know them to to hit, then we're not even really nitpicking at little things like turnovers and, uh, you know, certain people on the roster or whatever it may be. We're just happy that we've got these two elite players, in, in Tatum's case, you know, potentially a top 12 player or so who can be relied upon to hit those more difficult threes. And I guess the other side of the the argument is, yeah, the, the threes that Tatum attempts usually are more difficult situationally than your average NBA three. It's not like he's on the receiving end of a lot of catch and shoot opportunities, which I actually think might open him up. If we can generate some of those looks for him, that might help to reinstate some of that lost confidence. But yeah, certainly it's a concern because we need him to hit those shots in order to be a good team was the the thing we talked about with John Corrales heading into the season that nothing else really matters if Tatum isn't good like we need him to be. And unfortunately, yeah. with his three-point shot or lack thereof, as the case may be, um, that's that's a huge problem. Fortunately, Jalen Brown is hitting more threes 
Um, today was not necessarily a good example of that, but uh, I think um, if we can at least rely on one J at a time, that's good. But as the team is currently constructed, we need to be relying on both Js to, to get anywhere. Now, Spoons, you yeah. had a clip that we were going to run through. I've done a terrible job of setting this up for you. Do you want to give us some context before we run this clip? Because I, I do think we should get to it. Okay, yeah. So, um, real quick, I just want to say Jalen's been awesome. He really has. Jalen's been great. I don't think we're talking enough about he's kind of part partly been a little ugly himself at times, too. But, man, he's been ruthlessly efficient. Uh, and I feel like he's been passing a lot better recently, too. But anyway, okay. Back to this clip, right? So we said we're 18th in offensive rating in January, which is like, hey, it's better. That's still pretty bad. Uh, and part of the reason, this is why I, I always say, and I'm beating this drum, is like, it's hard to get to the rim when you don't have spacing. Well, spacing is not just this guy can make threes. You also have to have the guys without the ball cut with purpose and execute the plays with purpose, right? You have to make the defense think like, oh man, this play is being called for Josh Richardson. He's about to get the ball. I better get up to him. And that's how you open up space for guys, right? If you're just kind of lollygagging around and setting half-assed limp dick picks, nothing's going to happen. They're not going to care. They're going to know like this guy doesn't care. He's not getting the ball. I'll just stand here in the paint while Jason Tatum tries to drive, which leads us to this clip. So if you take a look at the near side, Dennis Schroeder's going to pass it to Tatum posting up, and he's going to set a pick, I guess, for Josh Richardson <laughs> that goes, it does nothing. I mean, he, he doesn't even catch a piece of him. And the worst part is Richardson doesn't sell it either. He doesn't cut hard. He just kind of lollygags up the court. Yeah. And then there's four people in the paint. <laughs> What is Tatum supposed to do? I mean, I guess he could kick it to Richardson for like a goofy, bad standstill three. But that's what I mean when Schroeder's coming at Tatum for not driving. He actually got a decent layup out of that play. He missed it. But like that's also on the other guys to sell the sets that we're calling. And you'll get the ball more because you'll be moving with purpose and you'll be more open. So, I mean, that's just kind of indicative of the frustrating things that have been going on with our offense all season, really. And last year too, I think last year was even more of a talent issue at times, but we had a top 10 offense somehow. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, I, I think that's what needs to come next, right? Okay. We've called out the Jays. They clearly know what they have to do. Tatum showed today, like you allow me to get to the rim. I will ruthlessly attack for an entire fourth quarter and basically win the game, yeah. right? All right. So next, now the tertiary guys got to start running the sets hard, cutting with purpose. And I think a big part of that, that's a lot easier when you go a little deeper into your bench, maybe give some of these young guys with energy some playing time um, and and become more of a team than sort of the Jays and a few guys around them. So anyway... That's my rant about that limp dick Schroeder screen. <laughs> God, I oh, it made me so angry uh, seeing that pick or pick necessary. Quote it's an interesting point and worth calling out, and I think it's a part of what makes this team so confusing to so many people because you look at that clip and like technically the screen is being set, technically the off ball movement is there, but it's just not being executed with enough conviction. 
And so, at first right, glance, exactly. you're watching the game, you might be ball watching a little bit, you're thinking, okay, like the movement's there. I don't understand why, you know, Tatum is so crowded in the paint or why we're not getting a good shot out of it. And you run it back a couple of times, look at it a little bit more slowly, have it explained to you by the great Wayne Spoonie. Suddenly, things start <laughs> to unravel a little bit and make a little bit more sense. I, I wonder how many times that clip has played in Emio Doka's coaching office or even in Brad Stevens' office while he calls in a Doka, sort of like the principal calling in the, uh, the student. You see to- what Dennis is doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> see this guy? <laughs> you got to do something. Ah, uh, man. So yeah. we're going to finish up here with the Reddit recap and um, get to the upcoming schedule as well. So we're going to start here with a post from Softcore Holly. Title of the post is Rob Williams Untouchable. They go on to say, for the most part, I think everyone here agrees that unless we're getting back a young slash prime depoy or MVP level player, the Jays are unavailable. I agree. I'd argue that Rob belongs in that category too. His overall impact on the games are more and more apparent, and he does things nobody else in the league can do, and his skill set has really no overlap with either Tatum or Brown. I understand that stamping more guys as, quote, untouchable will make it hard to add pieces and move the needle, but what do y'all think? And what would be worth it for you regarding a Robert Williams trade? What do you think, Spoons? Would you trade him for Drew Holiday? Oh, straight up, Milwaukee's like, we'll give you Drew Holiday for Rob Williams. I think I would. Yeah, he's not untouchable. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I love of I love Rob. He's awesome. He's on a great contract. He ain't untouchable. No. Okay. Let, let's do this again. Would you trade Jalen Brown for Drew Holiday? No. Exactly. All yeah. right. So what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, he's he's not untouchable. Great player. Awesome. Hopefully he adds, like, a little 15-footer or maybe that BAM type of dribble drive game. But, I mean, he's just he's just not at that level, man. He, he doesn't even average double-digit points, which isn't the be-all, end-all. But, like, untouchable guys average in the 20, you know... It's the Tatums, the Lucas, Jalen, you know, these young guys who can be the best or second best player on a team. Not a great role. Rob is a great role player, right? He's got potential to be more, but right now he is a great role player. So, I mean, are you buying? Are you drunk on the Rob Will tonic that you think he's untouchable, Ben? I'd say I'm, I'm, I'm tipsy on it. I'm sort of maintaining a healthy buzz. It's helping me go out into social situations and the conversation is flowing a little easier. But I'm not going overboard. You know, I'm waking up with a clear yeah, head yeah. the following day. Uh, there's a, a comment here from Paraplegic T-Rex who says, with regards to Rob, I'd say he's a key piece, not totally untouchable if someone got stupid, but I personally want to keep him on the team because of the contract his energy, effort, and defensive ability. And I'd add to that, first of all, I agree. He's definitely a key piece. Um, yeah. We've been asking all season, really, who is our third best player. I think it's quite clearly Rob Williams at this point, or at least in sort of the, the second half of the first half of the season, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> but he's also our most valuable slash only real trade asset on top of Marcus Smart. And... Therefore, I would argue if we are going to make a splash before the trade deadline, and I don't think that we will. I don't think that there's much to gain from that at this point in the team's relative infancy. Uh, it would require Rob Williams to be moved in order to to bring back any real value. What do you think on that, Spoons? Yeah, I mean, he's certainly our best trade asset. I think key piece is the exact way to put it. I mean, he's still just 24. Um 
He's improved every season. There's no reason to think he's going to stop improving. Uh, and I, I agree. I think when we had you, Jay, and I did a pod at the beginning of December, Rob was my answer for who's the third best player. And he's only been playing better, frankly, since then. So, sure. uh, yeah, I, I think especially what, if we unchain him to Horford a little bit more and spread the floor and really don't let three people guard a pick and roll every time. Like Rob is unstoppable. If it's just two people guarding a pick, right. If it's his guy and the ball handlers guy, you can't stop him. And if you bring help and he gets the ball, he will find the open shooter. So he's super valuable player, man. But he's, I could come up with 30, 40, 50 guys. I'd trade him for straight up. John Collins. (laughs) I'd probably trade him for John Collins. Right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, he's not on, and John Collins almost got traded last year. So he's not untouchable, but Rob's awesome. He's got a dope nickname, like not much. He's super likable. Like, yeah, I I love him. But, you know, if we get somebody good, see you, Rob. Yeah. (laughs) Don't miss the flight this time. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Uh, Moving on, this was posted to the sub by Boston Empire, and it's a report from Bleacher Report's Jake Fisher. The report is, the Boston Celtics reached out to the Phoenix Suns to trade for Jalen Smith with Dennis Schroeder, the likely offer. Boone's... What do you know about Jalen Smith, and would this be a, a trade you would pull the trigger on? Um, I would. So it's tough to gauge, right? Because as King of Pants says, that there's a weird <clears throat> since he got his option declined, which is not a not good news for a prospect to have their third year option declined. Uh-huh. That's actually <laughs> terrible, and almost never happens. But uh, we can we, if we trade for him, we can only offer him four point six million. If we think he does not have a market and we can bring him back for three years at, at, at that price, I mean, there's no, there's not a lot of downside there. So I would be really interested in that. Jalen Smith, 6'11", uh, big man from Maryland. He shot the three really well in college. He hasn't really done it yet in the pros, but... I do think he can shoot. I think he's pretty good from the line. He's super athletic, you know, above the rim finisher on the pick and roll. I really like him as a long-term backup behind Rob. Uh, he he doesn't, you know, he can guard the rim a little bit. He's not great switching out. But, you know, if he's playing 18 minutes a night, making some threes, you know, giving you a different look when you go against Gobert and stuff like that and you need to pull him out of the paint, I think he'd be awesome in that role. Uh People are going a little crazy because he had like three good games when Aiton was out. So mm-hmm. let's pump the brakes. You know, he he had like fifteen and fourteen, and people are like, "This guy's amazing!" Like Got those cool bad players have. Well. Yeah, yes, he does. Yeah, and his <laughs> nickname is uh, Sticks. I'm pretty sure which yeah. is a pretty sweet nickname. But like Tony Delk had fifty in a game, right? Let's yeah. let's let's pump the brakes here a little bit. But I think he's got a lot of talent, and I think more importantly, he's the type of uh, low risk, high reward guy. I think we should be tar- we should try to get like two or three of those guys. Like Wancho was sort of a low risk, low reward, and it's somehow even disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> that's that very low, low expectation. But I, I, I mean, okay, Jalen Smith washes out. You paid him twelve million bucks for two, three years. Like it's not a big deal, and he's shown enough that he 
probably has a role in the NBA, and I think he's 21 or 22 years old. So that's exactly the type of guy I would be targeting um, during the trade deadline. I do yeah. have another Suns trade idea. I want to get your thoughts on Ooh, though, Ben. Please. It's a it's it's only if we think we're going nowhere. We're pure sellers, but we think next year that's the year, right? What if I told you we could get a backup center that shoots thirty seven percent from three on like five a game? Okay, rebounder can switch a little bit. Not great protecting the rim, but you know he's not terrible. Um. The only problem, he's injured for the rest of the season. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so, um, How I, I, I've been, yeah, um, you know, I think it's an ACL. So it was pretty serious. So, uh, <laughs> obviously that goes into it a little bit, but I think we could work like a Schroeder Wancho trade for Dario Saric for the Suns, right? And Dario, they don't really need him anymore, um, because Javali McGee somehow has been great for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's owed $9 million next season, so if we trade for him, we'd absolutely have him, and Phoenix would be taking on money. It would cut our... We'd get to, like, just over... Around $3 million over the tax instead of about six where we're at now, so we'd get really close to getting under the tax line, although it'd be tough to cut more, but regardless, this probably is not happening. Um, but he'd be out, so we would suck more, because we wouldn't have anyone to replace him, but Dario's a solid player. He's been good his whole career. So uh, I think that would be kind of a nice little way to, all right, this guy's a good player whose value is essentially zero right now. That's the time to strike, right? Yep. Like, okay, this guy can come in and be our ninth man next year, and we can get him for essentially Schroeder's expiring contract and maybe get a second out of it um, because we're going to save the sun $7 million next year. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think that'd be an interesting idea. I think the same thing about TJ Warren, who is also hurt and is probably depressed his value, but he's a much better player than he might cost in the trade market. But I don't know. It's worth noodling around. Um, do you have, do you remember, have you watched a ton of Dario? You got thoughts on Dario? Yeah. I remember, uh, I watched a lot of Dario Saric when he played for Philly. Uh, and particularly yep. in that playoff series a couple of years ago. And he's a good player and not necessarily athletically like dependent you know like obviously an acl tear today isn't what it used to be players come back essentially equal to what they were before the injury um and it's not like he's a high flying above the rim player um nor is he like a known you know cutter or anything like that so I i think that um his basketball acumen and just general on the court intelligence could be a really good contributing factor for the celtics the fact that we could get him for essentially nothing in one show and schroeder who are both walking out the door regardless at the end of the season, throwing that second round pick, I'm in. Let's do this. Uh, and yeah. same with TJ Warren. You know, like these are players who are known contributors when healthy and we're in a position where, where we can afford to um, essentially make a delayed purchase, right? Where we pay now, right. receive later. Like, let's let's do it. Let's get some picks. Let's get these guys in for next year. I'm into it. Yeah, Dario's a nice ball mover, too. Like, he he's smart. You're right. He, he's a smart player. He keeps the ball moving. I, I think he'd be a great fit. The Just a little worried about coming back from the injury, but he'll be fine. He's only 27. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so a uh, different player completely, but Zach Levine tore his ACL a uh, couple yep. of years back, came back, still above the rim, still insanely quick first step, still elite in many facets of his game. 
I wouldn't say that he's necessarily we've seen a downturn with him since the ACL tear. So yeah, obviously Saric, different different kind of player, different you know um, body composition, but ACL tears aren't the uh, you know the the devil's curse that they used to be. I also have an affinity for Eastern European players. With a name ending in itch. Me too. <laughs> so, yeah. I think it's time I we got one. <laughs> I think it's an ACL. No, I think it's an ACL. I could be wrong. But... I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, okay. Happened in the playoffs right, last cool. year, I think. Um, yes, yep. Just quickly on one show, I was speaking to a friend of mine, Dice, who's a, a Denver Nuggets fan. And when we got one show, he was so excited and he was like, I'm going to start watching Celtics games this year. <laughs> and he was talking to me. We have our own Slack for our fantasy league. And... I was sort of complaining to him at how bad the Celtics had been lately. And I think it was after the recent loss to the Knicks where we gave it up in the in the fourth mm, quarter. Painful one. And he was like, you guys are using Juancho Gomez wrong. And that is like everything as to why you guys are not a good team this year. You need to be using him correctly. Uh, my response was he's being used adequately by sitting on the bench for 100% of every game. Um and he didn't necessarily come back at me with any strategy, like, here's what you need to be doing. He was just like, wrong, you're using him wrong. That's the problem. I cannot fathom what Wancho's strengths are in order to, like, I don't know what he can do positively on an end. Like, there is, the only way to use him effectively is send him to Maine and have a beat up on some G-leaguers. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> the best on-court value we'll get out of him. Because, I mean, he is... One of the worst NBA players. I, like, James Young was better. Than, at least James Young can make open threes. Yeah. <laughs> Wancho is awful. <laughs> anyway. Uh, that's that's what we, you know, we need to move on. If we're having the James Young Wancho comparison, <laughs> yeah, right. it's, it's time to move on. So we'll wrap up very quickly here with a brief chat on the Celtics' upcoming schedule. Obviously playing the Hornets uh, at TD Garden the next game. A couple of notes on the Hornets very quickly. They're the third-ranked offense in the league. They're ranked second in pace, very quick up and down the court, as the Pelicans were today, surprisingly. 26th-ranked in defense, so offensively, defensively, kind of the inverse opposite team of the Celtics, which will make for an interesting matchup. They're 4-1 and one in their past five games, so they're on a roll. But the Celtics have won their only matchup so far this season. Uh, I know it's difficult to speculate and predict Given the roller coaster season we've had with the Celtics so far this season, Spoons, but what do you predict going into this one? I like how we match up with Charlotte. Um, I will feel a lot better if Smart can play. I thought he did a really good job against Lamella last time. Yeah. Even though Lamella got his buckets, but Smart really in crunch time, I think, did a great job. They just do not have anyone to stop Tatum and Brown. So. Mm -hmm. I think all our games, our last game with Charlotte was super fun. I think it went to overtime. Tatum had like 40 and 8 or something crazy like that. And I think Jalen had almost 30. So I'm looking forward to it. I, Like I said, I like how we match up. I think we win. I, I think we win. The fan base gets their hopes up. And then we go on like a four-game losing streak. So, Well, yeah. So the next, the next couple of games, so after the Hornets, it's the Blazers at home, the Wizards on the road, and then the Kings, the Hawks, and the Pelicans. So I'm sure we're capable of losing all of those games, even if we do beat the Hornets. So like I said, difficult that to predict. Should, that should be four and one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it won't be, unfortunately. 
I will be in attendance in the flesh at the Wizards game, though. So nice. Hoping for a win while Spoonie's in the building, but yeah, you got to we'll get see. down to the bench and hold out a microphone and try and get us that scoop, Spoon. <laughs> Guess on yeah. top. Oh, Jason, Jason, Spoonie from the Celtics Reddit podcast, yeah. oh, here yeah. to answer a few questions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude, I love the show, man. Yeah. <laughs> Great breakdown videos on YouTube. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm one of I love that Romeo one. <laughs> yeah. Killing uh, it. Hey, subscribe to the YouTube, please, if you haven't already. Yeah, if you want to be like Jason Tatum, subscribe to our YouTube channel. <laughs> Surely someone named Jason Tatum has subscribed. <laughs> Maybe not the Jason Tatum. <laughs> Creates fake YouTube account. Uh, <laughs> yeah, all right. right. That is going to do it for this one. Hope you enjoyed the pod as much as you're enjoying these winning Celtics times. We'll be back with another one very soon. In the meantime, why not subscribe to the pod? Leave us a nice review. Check out our YouTube channel, like we said, where you can find every episode as well as video breakdowns and some other cool stuff. Like Wayne Spoonie here reacting to Australian Rugby League, which weirdly is our by far our most popular video. So go check that out. Not uh, close. <laughs> also, if you subscribe today, then tomorrow you'll get a little notification when we release our new video on 2022 draft prospects for the Celtics. Good stuff. All right, Spoonie, love your work, man. Thanks again. Thanks, Ben. It was fun. Until next time, go Celtics. Peace.